You've survived another week. This week on Urban Shooter. Zombie Strike number 78. Something to talk about. The Wolf. Interview with the inventor of stealth defense holsters. American History. Big Al. And more. Sponsored by Crossbreed Holsters. Crossbreedholsters.com presents the Urban Shooter Podcast. This is the program variety show that features inspiration, observations, and conversations about life, the shooting sports, and more. And here he is, now helping you survive another week, your friend and brother from a different mother, the black man with a gun, the pastor of patriots, paladins, and pistoleros, Ken Blanchard. Hey, thank you for listening to me this week. You know, I produce this show in the basement of my home once a week for you, free of charge. From beneath the washer and the dryer, in between my wife's movements upstairs, no, she's like a drill sergeant on crystal meth, cleaning and singing and moving up there. But I'm blessed to have you right here, listening, downloading, and even subscribing. I do this to make you laugh at me and with me. So sing, ride, run, walk, work, cope, and share with me for the next 40 minutes to an hour. This is the pro-gun variety show, meaning I get a little help from my friends on Facebook, the forum, and email on things to help you survive another week. It's a mixed bag of a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I know there's more to life than the latest gun or legislation. You are more than that, and I understand it. For those that do, I am your friend and your brother from a different mother. I dig those who get it. I want to give a shout out to all those working right now, patrolling, working a post, away from home, on the road, or wish they were someplace else. Shout out to my homies on base. You in the field. You on Liberty. You, TDY. And in class. Remember that no matter how jacked up it is right now, this is only temporary. If you're in a dorm or off campus, trying to keep it together, you can. You will. How do I know? Been there, done that, and survived the madness. You know, when you're not at home, not washing the dishes, cooking dinner, or walking the dog, all that stuff seems like heaven. But if you're there and you can't get anywhere else, you wish you were not there. Ain't that messed up? And for you, they're just trying to cope with something, trying to make ends meet, wishing you had a different set of circumstances. I also understand. Hang in there. Don't surrender and don't give up or give in. Hold what you got. And when you overcome, when you win, when you come through, don't forget to share it, to tell it, because somebody is following in your footsteps. Someone needs to know that they too can make it. Weeds may have grown over the path you just blazed, Folks can't see the blood or the sweat, so tell them, and maybe, like you, they'll listen. Life doesn't give us chances. Life is our chance to give. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hey, if you've been following KenBlancher.com or you on Facebook, you know I finally, finally got my Lone Wolf Distributor test gun. I say finally because the state of Maryland prolonged my fun by making me wait 10 days for the custom replacement Glock polymer frame that this puppy sits on. I mean, it's just the frame part that I was waiting on. I mean, really. Did you have to do all that? You can't even shoot with it. But that's the BATFE's rules. I was at my favorite range on Saturday and decided to wait, since I was there, to probably shoot and see how this thing is. You know, I had waited almost an hour and a half for a lane to open. I saw a couple of members go through, though, without waiting, so that was kind of cool, except for I'm not a member. Funds, you know. I used one of those uh, glow shot 
colorful show me bullseyes where the black part changes color when you hit it. It's kind of neat. Can you believe you can get targets off of Amazon.com now? Oh, let me see about this gun. There's pictures on KenBlanchard.com for sure if you haven't seen it yet. This Timberwolf frame includes a few Glock OEM parts for the Generation 3. And except for the round magazine catch, the single figure trigger or finger trigger housing and a nicely sculptured grip, it's all stock. The slide is sexy, though. It's a big honking chunk of stainless steel with a big slot on top to decrease the weight. Now, I thought it was a gas port or a compensator, but because of the weight and the way it works, it made the 40 feel like a 9, and that was just fine for me. It's about an inch longer than the regular Glock 22. I got a Warren Tactical Sighting System on it, and that's like one big tritium glowing sight on the front end and nothing in the back. As like regular blades, it conceals pretty good. It did make for the target acquisition faster than I was used to though, and I can't wait to take this to class in August. I plan to go to the Tactical Defense Institute in Ohio. And then there's a special urban shooter class, same place in October. I hope you can make it. Check out TDIOhio.com for details. Only bad part about this whole thing is I didn't own one Glock 40 caliber magazine. So I got the pistol, bought the ammo, and I had to buy a Dern magazine from the range. Ouch. Homie will not be eating lunch next week. Oh, how did it shoot? Pretty darn good, actually. I thought it shot high and in between the bullseyes at about a 10 o'clock position near the eight ring. But in all honesty, it was probably just me. New gun and all. Never shot that many rounds in a forty caliber. They still group, so I just got to figure out what I'm doing wrong. Now I got to get check and see if I have a holster that can fit this thing. You know, everybody has that box of holsters. I'm going to dig in my box and see what I can fit. Might have to get a new Blackhawk Serper for the range. And I'm still waiting for Todd Jarrett to call me back, by the way. Note to self, call Big Todd. And that's pretty much it for my new gun, which I'm going to call The Wolf. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it, man. And now, our featured presentation. Al Vinemeyer, welcome to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Well, thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me to your show. Man, you have an interesting piece of equipment called the uh, Stealth Defense Holster. What can you tell me about it? Well, uh, the Stealth Defense Holster is a uh, concept that I had patented, and uh, it's a result of experiences that I had uh, when I started Concealed Carry here some years back. Uh, I tried a a number of different holsters and uh, concluded that uh, none of them really worked out you know, totally well for me. So, uh, being a, an engineer by profession, I, I, I guess I was inspired to try and create something that, uh, you know, I thought would be much better. So, um, I had come up with a spec, you know, what do I want to see in a, in the perfect holster? All right. There is no such thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a result, of uh, those efforts uh, allowed me to develop the stealth defense holster. What's it about this strut thing? Explain that. Well, the uh, the strut, of course, that that is the uh, the main detail in the uh, in the rig, and uh, the strut is uh, actually sewn to the holster, and uh, it has a shape such that. It uh, hooks in behind your belt, and it suspends the holster above your belt line. And the weight of the firearm is transferred through the strut into your belt. The advantage is that you're much more comfortable. You, you, you don't need to uh, have a, uh, a weapon, you know, inside of your 
belt line, uh, you, you've just got the, the strut detail, which is a very thin detail, and you don't even know it's tucked in behind your belt. So uh, that adds to your comfort level. And the unit is worn in a cross-draw position. Okay. And uh, w- what's great about the cross-draw uh, in this suspended position on your body is that it's very accessible whether you're sitting or standing. You know, so many people that uh, I have talked to, when they carry, they take their holster off of their person and put it in a glove compartment when they're driving because it's just too uncomfortable to you know be in a sitting position with with their uh, holster on so they carry it in the glove compartment you don't have to do that with a stealth defense holster uh you know if you're traveling in your vehicle for extended hours uh you, you still experience a great deal of comfort uh in wearing a holster i like that man you can definitely tell the engineering side because you were going through about the dynamics of of fit and form and i thought yeah he knows what he's talking about i, li- I like that yeah well um it it seems to have worked out pretty well and then you know another function of the the strut can is to uh take the place of a um a thumb lock you know, the thumb strap yeah. which is typical on a holster. Um, the strut is designed in such a way that it works in combination with the uh, the band that goes around your uh, midsection. And um, when you put your weapon in your holster, it creates a, a friction fit uh, against your weapon. And this is for all weapons uh, within that size range that uh, is listed on my website. So um, this, you know, uh, creates a firm grip on your weapon so that uh, it's not going to tumble out of there if you stoop over or, you know, make some sort of a move uh, that would dump it if you didn't have uh, a thumb strap or some retention method. How long have you has this been on the market? Well, actually, uh, we just come out with this thing here uh, late last summer. That's when our website it started up, and uh, the majority of our sales are over the website. However, I do sell to uh, a few uh, instructors as well as a few gun shops. Okay. I want to make sure I pass this on to uh, some Secret Service people that I know. This could go... You know what I really like about this holster is the the application for motorcycles and bicyclists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you have a chance to look at the uh, website video? Yes, I did. That's what, that's, what, that's what did it. I was like, aha! I found, uh-huh. I found a holster for bikers. Yeah. Yeah, it, it works real well, and uh, that fella that uh, did that uh, draw from the holster, that was the first time he had ever done that from his uh, motorcycle, and it worked out very smoothly. Um, you know, any any holster that uh, you purchase uh, is going to need some sort of, uh, uh, well, you, you're going to have to have some degree of experience using it so that... Um, you know, so that you become more proficient with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, but this fella, uh, you know, right off the bat, he did extremely well with it, I thought. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna be big for those who are who are athletic and outside, maybe riding their mountain bike or uh, actually riding a motorcycle and don't want to have that big fanny pack that everybody knows is probably um, carrying their firearm or some other bag. Well, you know, I, I think that's a, a great uh, feature uh, to have when you're doing concealed carry is to act, be totally, uh, you know, totally hidden, totally stealth. Um, I, I feel as though that's an added advantage. Uh, you know, I, I'm not really sure why people are advocating open carry. I, I just think that concealed carry works out so much better. Yeah. It has its, has its pluses. What, what's, um, how about for if you're not fit physically fit, 
What if you got like a little bit of a stomach out there? That that does make a difference. Uh, if a person has, you know, excessive overhang over his belt, then uh, what what typically is done is uh, you will move 45 degree position, and then uh, the 90 degree position is what we call uh, call it when when it's under your arm. Okay. And uh, an individual that, uh, you know, does have a little bit of a weight problem uh, finds that it works out much better under his arm. Okay, so you just kind of twist that thing off to the left or the right. Oh, you, you just move it around to the underarm position, and that, that seems to solve the problem for most people. Now, I cannot attest, of course, to, to every, every... Yeah. Yeah. What's that, what's that phrase they always say? Uh, results may vary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, the str- and the strut is what locks it to your belt. <laughs> Al, what is walking with a strut? Well, walking with a strut is, uh, of course, uh, walking with that patent-pending strut that uh, makes the holster uh, very unique and... Uh, Hopefully that gives you all the features that you're looking for in a concealed carry holster, uh, comfort, concealability, and, uh, of course, the ability to uh, wear your holster with your normal dress clothing. There, there's no need for a special cover vest or larger trousers. Just wear what you got, summer or winter, and uh, the strut will take care of you. Or no. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, it's very thin. It's, um, oh, I think it's le- it's less than an eighth. It's about 330 seconds or 90,000 thick, if people can relate to that. And um, it's about uh, an inch wide. So uh, there isn't much there to uh, add to discomfort, you know, being tucked in behind your belt. Oh, okay. What's this thing made out of? It's made out of a uh, special uh, plastic material. Um, it, it's very similar to what they call PETG, and okay. uh, this is nothing more than a material that has uh, a good deal of flexibility to it, and it's it's inert in the sense that, uh, you know, it, it's not toxic to the uh, skin. Okay. I'm going to put a picture on it for episode 215 of the Urban Shooter Podcast, and then I'll be a link to StealthDefenseHolsters.com. That's StealthDefenseHolsters with a S, dot com. Correct, yes. Uh-huh. All right, man. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Anything you'd like to say to the uh, Urban Shooter family? Well, uh, it, like I said initially, it's great to be on your show, Ken. And um, the only thing I could add in regards to the holster, um, this holster is uh, guaranteed. And, uh, you know, you have a two-week tryout period. Uh, if you don't like it, uh, you can return it within two weeks. And uh, it has a lifetime warranty. So if there's anything that uh, goes wrong from normal use, then, uh, you know, get in touch with us and we'll we'll take care of it. Oh, man, can't beat that with a stick. Well, this is for the, the really small um, pistols or what size can you hold? Yeah, yeah, it, it's more suitable for the uh, smaller pistols. Now, uh, I have customers that uh, have carried, you know, the Glocks, uh, the baby Glocks, you know, the 19 and the 26 and, you know, some of the other models. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, for concealability, for the ultimate concealability and comfort, uh, you, my opinion, my recommendation is, you know, the smaller weapons like the, uh, the car, um, uh, you know, the car PM9 and mm-hmm. uh, Ruger LCP and, and the, uh, they've got an LC9, I believe it is now. Yep which is a very nice weapon, and the Kimber Solo, you know, th- those are great weapons uh, for the stealth defense holster. 
Gotcha. There's quite a few of them out there. All right. Good deal. Well, thank you, my brother. Well, it's been good talking to you, Ken, and uh, I wish you the greatest success, and I'd like to thank you for your service to our country. Uh, I read, you know, uh, about your background, and uh, I think you have a pretty impressive set of credentials. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. This is StealthDefenseHolsters.com with the originator, Al Venemeyer. Al, thank you, bro. Thank you, sir. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com. This is Rob Morse, and I like the Urban Shooter. Though it isn't perfect, sometimes Zombie Strike does not spring to life. We can't always be on our game, but I listen all the same. Keep giving us your songs, your stories, news and notes. Sometimes you hit a sour note, but only brave men sing alone. It's your show and gets my vote. Thanks, Ken. Keep going. Is the cost of ammo bringing you down? Are you ready to have fun with your firearm again? If you need ammo, your friend and brother from a different mother has the answer. LuckyGunner.com Good prices. LuckyGunner.com If your time is valuable, LuckyGunner.com Order your ammo today. LuckyGunner.com Where you won't waste your time and the shipping is fast. It's 110% guaranteed. LuckyGunner.com American History Now this week I want to share the biography of James Pearson Beckworth. One of only a handful of early mountain men to emerge from the system of slavery. He was born in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and he lived from 1798 to 1866. And if you take a picture or take a look at the picture on KenBlanchard.com for this episode, doesn't he look like Masada Ayub? Beckworth was a colorful brother, the child of a white plantation owner and a black woman who was probably his slave. He played a major role in the early exploration and settlement of the American West. He was the only African-American who recorded his life story, and his adventures took him from the Everglades of Florida to the Pacific Ocean and from southern Canada to northern Mexico. He dictated his autobiography to Thomas Bonner, an itinerant justice of the peace in the gold fields of California in 1854-55. After Bonner polished it up, Beckworth's rough narrative, the life and adventures of James P. Beckworth, mountaineer, scout, and pioneer, and chief of the Crow Nation of Indians, was published by Harper and Brothers in 1856. Now, the book apparently achieved a certain amount of popular success, but was followed by an English edition in the same year, a second printing two years later, and a French translation in 1860. In 1824, he joined William Ashley's third and most arduous fur trapping expedition to the Rocky Mountains. Now, Beckworth received a crash course in the dangers of mountain life, just barely managing to avoid death by freezing, starvation, and Indian attacks. Trapping in the Powder River country of Wyoming, Beckworth began to forge a close alliance with the Crow Indians. Sometime between 1826 and 28, he abandoned American society altogether and joined the Crow Nation. One of the things I found out while studying this guy was all the sources that said this guy was a fabricator, a liar, and a great storyteller. I liked him immediately. So, some of his claims are disputed. Some say he married two Blackfoot women, and some say Crow. In the mid-1830s, Beckworth 
left his adopted home with the Crow and joined the Missouri Volunteer Military Force as a scout. He saw action in the Seminole War in Florida, fighting under Zachary Taylor, General Type. Beckworth left the Army in 1840 and spent the next decade wandering around the West, occasionally making some quick cash by stealing horses, eventually settling near Denver, Colorado. Beckworth continued to work periodically as a civilian scout for military parties, and in this capacity, he had a role in the infamous Sand Creek Massacre in 1864. But how much Beckworth knew or participated in this thing? It was a really bad massacre. Um, So folks really don't know the real deal there. It was an inexcusable massacre of Native Americans. In 1850, in the Sierra Nevada, Beckworth found an important and safer pass that led pioneers and gold seekers to the fields of California. And that pass is now called Beckworth Pass. There he built a ranch and a trading post. Not long after that Sand Creek Massacre, Beckworth again abandoned the Anglo-American society and returned to the Crow Nation. As with his birth, the details of Beckworth's death are uncertain. Some say he died in 1866 among his Crow Nation and they laid him to rest in Crow fashion on a tree platform and others indicate he may have died near Denver in 1867. Beckworth's role in American history was often dismissed by historians of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Many were quite blatant in their prejudices, refusing to give any credence to a mongrel of mixed blood. And many of his acquaintances considered the book something of a joke. But Beckworth was a man of his times. For the early fur trappers or for the early fur trappers of the Rockies, the ability to spin a good yarn was a skill valued almost as highly as marksmanship or woodsmanship. And while Beckworth certainly had a tendency to exaggerate numbers or to occasionally make himself the hero of a story, later historians have discovered that much of what he said actually happened. There's a story about him that says a group of miners who were well acquainted with his stuff told him by the time you get the Celt to uh, San Francisco, bring us a copy of your book so we can read it when you come back. In the evening, somebody got the book and was requested to read out loud, you know, the story about Beckworth. And when they opened it at random, they actually started reading about Samson and the foxes. It was the Bible that they had brought back. They, they picked the wrong book. And all the men cried out, Ah, oh, that'll do. I knew that story from one of Jim's lies anywhere. So, just kind of tells you. Didn't matter what you were talking about. They thought he was lying. And that was the great James Pearson Beckworth. Born this week in 1798. Hey, I want to let you know something. You give me something to talk about. You know, the readers of my blog, KenNBlanchard.com, and listeners of my podcast have enriched my life. You know, we drive to work together. We walk the dog. We work a post. We share a giggle on the train in your carpool. You sing with me, which is my intention, because you know how I miss a note every now and then. Rob would tell you that. And you laugh with me. Thank you for that. You know, blogging and podcasting, fulfilled a dream I had as a kid to be a radio guy. And it's better now than I imagined because my life has been colored. You know, once upon a time, we were colored by you. I got friends, I mean, people that I really look forward to meeting and seeing and being around. Richard just sent me a book that he thought might encourage me, just might encourage me. You know, just a simple act of thinking about somebody is so big that the book had to be good. Jim Becker wrote a book for me to review. Derek and I, author of Zombie Strike, encourage each other each week, and he has faithfully, persistently, consistently sent a chapter of Zombie Strike up up to me every week. Donnie emailed me this week, as, as did Laura, Jason. Neil called to check on me. The gun rabbi checked in. I miss him. 
That's one righteous guy. Jeff sent me a note, and Miles posed a question. Sam wrote me, you guys give me something to talk about. I'm going to give a few shout-outs real quick to Staff Sergeant Daniel and Andrea Shaw and all the folks at Camp Butler, folks at uh, Camp Dwyer, Camp Leatherneck, those in Bagram, Harat Province, Kandahar, Buka, Taji, Victory Base, Camp Fallujah. Yeah. I'm not going to forget you guys either down in Fort Bragg, Camp Pendleton, Camp Lejeune, and my buddy in 29 Stumps, also known as 29 Palms, California. The last thing I want to share, though, is that this week I got a big email from a big old corporation that is actually considering sponsoring me next year. And it's as big as I can dream it. I mean, TV, radio, who knows? It's mine to lose. But they asked me, you know, for some stuff. they like, well, what's your Nielsen ratings? And if you've done video and television before, I guess they have like a generic um, proposal thing they send out that I had no clue, man. I screamed. I was terrified. I called out about five people for help for lifelines to educate the brother. Um, and I got some information. And one of my companies sent me a, um, a survey. They said, if you get this filled out by at least 250 of your people, it's like a demographics thing, which is scary during consensus, census-looking thing. Uh, it'll show some numbers, and then you can plug that into your proposal. And you like a lot of people that'll make it legit. So just the other day, I put it up on Facebook, and it's also on the site, too. It's a survey. And I appreciate it if you could help me out with that. Thanks for giving your friend and brother the opportunity of a lifetime. Even if it never happens, if I don't win the proposal, if I don't get any money from it, if I stay right where I'm at, I'm okay. I'll just keep on plugging. And as long as you're around too. That's a benefit you can't buy. I'm just trying to do this thing right. You know, you ever had a hobby that you wish you could make a job? And if it was a job, you got to make sure that it kept the lights on and fed you and stuff like that. So that's my goal. I'm going to try to make this thing or just make broadcasting. I could be like the new Larry King or Ryan Seacrest or name a talking head. It could be nice. Why not, right? As always, thank you for giving me something to talk about.
just give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Put them to to figure out. Something to talk about. Just give them something to talk about. How about love? Something to talk about, a little mystery to figure out. Let's give them something to talk about. How about love, 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 love? Something to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about. Blanchard.com. If you want to call Ken, you can leave a message toll-free in the U.S. at 888-675-0202 or contact him at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Last week on Zombie Strike. Last week on Zombie Strike, we're at Chapter 77. It was Part 8, and we went to the Midwest this time to Kirkwood, Missouri. A young guy by the name of Evan Torelli was waiting outside for Zombie Strike to arrive. He had called him because he had seen some zombies in his little town. He was all alone, but he's had his little shotgun with him. He watched the Osprey land, but didn't even see all the tactical guys that came out and around the place. Zombie Strike was one of his favorite reality shows. He had a crush on Jess a bromance with Mateo and the crew. And now his job, since he called down Zombie Strike to investigate what he said was some zombies, he took them back to his school where actually there were zombies and minions. And just when he was doing all the recon, something jumps in the air and Evan turns around, shotgun loaded. And it takes us right to episode 78 of Zombie Strike. Thanks, Derek. This is Zombie Strike. Part 8, Chapter 78, Kirkwood, Missouri, 3 June, 2011. 2330 hours local. Countdown, 6 months, 27 days. Evan Torelli was deafened by the twin roars as he blasted a jumping humanoid creature with both barrels of his shotgun. He could barely hear it screech over the echoes of the shotgun's rapport. Instinct took over as Evan snapped the shotgun's breech open and yanked out the spent shells. As his hands dug around his pants for a pair of new shells, Evans finally got a look at what attacked him. In the odd combination of moonlight and orange-colored light from the streetlights, the creature looked like a withered human with slate-black skin decorated with bright blue symbols. Its face was twisted into an inhuman snarl as it shook a crude black bladed axe at him. The creature reminded Evan of a model of a caveman he'd seen on some field trip. Down, kid, shouted Jim. Evan barely hit the soft grass before Jim's rifle boomed behind him. Evan heard the snap of the bullet over his head. The bullet lanced through the thin creature. The creature staggered back a step before sprinting at the cowboy. Jim shifted his grip on his rifle, holding the weapon more like a staff. The creature's axe whistled through the air as it lashed at Jim. The cowboy caught the axe on his barrel before twisting and slamming the butt of his rifle into the creature's chest. The blow drove the creature to the ground, 
but it sprang back and buried its axe into Jim's chest. Stupid golem, Jim grunted, dropping his rifle. As the creature struggled to free its axe, Jim drew his monstrous revolver. The creature realized its mistake an instant before Jim fired. The creature flew off of Jim, letting out the most horrendous scream Evan could ever have imagined. Jim straightened, took aim with his revolver, and placed a single round into the creature's head. Evan stared wide-eyed as the creature's head exploded like a pumpkin. Then the whole thing withered away to dust before Evan's eyes. His mind was grappling with that and what his eyes were seeing. Jim, are you okay? Mateo called out. Evan shook his head as he suddenly realized he had lost track of Zombie Strike's leader. Mateo was crouched behind the school's electrical box, busy taking down the zombies that were now staggering towards the trio. The four men that had been with the zombies were now sprinting away from them. Chest plates cracked. I think I'm bleeding, Jim reported. Evan, how are you doing? Mateo asked casually as he placed a burst into a zombie's head. I'm a little freaked out right now, Evan blurted out. He finally managed to fish out a couple of shotgun shells. With slow and steady movements, he managed to reload his shotgun. That's fine, Mateo reassured the boy. Would you please go check on Jim? Evan nodded and then cursed at himself. Mateo was busy killing zombies. He couldn't see Evan nodding. Yes, sir, Evan said, hoping Mateo didn't notice his screw-up. Evan rushed over to the cowboy's side. The man had stripped off his web gear and shirt. Evan could see the axe buried in what looked like plastic armor. Evan started to grab the axe's handle, but Jim's hand clamped down on him. Just help me get this piece off, Jim said. Evan could see the trickle of blood coming from the break in the armor. Jim showed Evan the quick release points. The plate clumped to the ground. There was a bloody gash in the undergarment. You need to get you to your doctor, Evan said, staring at the wound. Doc will be here in a moment, Jim said, standing up, holding the big revolver in a loose weaver stance. Jim took aim. With measured movements, Jim brought down four zombies with four shots from the revolver. Unconcerned about the approaching undead, Jim tucked the spent brass into a pocket and fed five fresh cartridges into the cylinder. Get into the fight, kid, Jim said, snapping the cylinder back into the frame. Evan swallowed hard and looked out at the zombies. There was now only about a dozen of the walking dead. The closest were maybe 50 yards away, a bit long for buckshot. Evan's mind slid back to his hunting days. Okay, so maybe zombies were a little different from hunting deer. The zombies made things easier by coming to you. Evan popped out the two shells in his shotgun. He loaded two of the four slugs he kept in his back pocket. Even in the moonlight, Evan could see the golden bead on his front sight. He chose one of the closer zombies. A little adjustment for Kentucky windage and Evan squeezed the trigger. The heavy slug easily shattered the zombie's decaying head before nearly tearing off the arm of the walker behind it. Not bad, kid, Jim commented, but Evan didn't hear the words. He was too busy lining up his next shot. He felt as if he was taking forever to get a good bead on the zombie's head. They were much smaller targets in real life than they seemed on television. He jerked the trigger just a bit hard. Evan cursed under his breath as the slug tore out the zombie's neck. It fell to the ground and started to crawl without pause. Then there was more gunfire. Suppressed burst of automatic fire cut down zombie after zombie with an almost contemptuous ease. It took less than a minute before the last zombie dropped to the ground. Evan turned around to see the rest of the zombie strike spread out in a traditional fire line. Clear, shouted Chief Stahl as the last echoes of gunfire died away. Sport, Slim, Get down to that graveyard and make sure that nothing else is coming up our way. Jess, cover them. Two of the men nodded and dashed across the corpse-strewn field. Jess crouched down and brought her rifle up. Her big dog sat obediently next to him. Evan closed his eyes and forced himself to look away from her. 
She was too pretty for his teenage mind to handle properly, and he knew it. Maybe later he could work up enough courage to talk to her. Dude, you look like you just got sliced by a samurai sword, the Steve commented as he started working on Jim's wound. Gollum, Jim grunted out as the Steve slathered the wound in a thick gray paste. A golem? We haven't seen one of those in months, Quentin McClintock said. The former linebacker's face scrunched in thought. Which means your theory was incorrect, the last member of the team said. He didn't look like the others. He reminded Evan of his dad's accountant. Now, thank you for that contribution, Shredigar, Mateo said, slinging his M4. Maybe not, Quentin said. What if they were looking for medallions here? Evan was completely lost. He hoped it didn't show on his face. Possible, Mateo agreed cautiously. That could explain their low numbers. Get down there and start searching. Quentin nodded before sprinting off to the graveyard. Evan couldn't believe anyone that big could move that fast. Mateo, Tredegar, and Chief walked away, talking amongst themselves. Evan stood there, not sure where he was supposed to go or what he was supposed to do. Jim motioned for the boy to sit down next to him. Relax, Evan. It's just time for the head honchos of this outfit to start figuring out what to do next, Jim explained. The Steve was finishing up with a patch of white gauze that stretched over Jim's entire chest. Yeah, dude, don't worry, the medic chimed in. We'll probably be dropping you home pretty soon. Evan looked down. Part of him wanted to go home, curl up in bed and pretend this never happened. Another part of him was heartbroken that he wouldn't get to stay with a zombie strike. The two men didn't say anything, but Evan could see their sympathy on their faces. His phone started singing Toby Keith's latest hit. It took a moment for Evan to remember that was his new ringtone. Pulling the phone out of his pocket, he saw the number and froze. It was his home. His parents were going to skin him alive. Evan slowly opened the phone, flinching as his father's voice filled his ear. Evan, where are you? He demanded. Evan shot upright. His father's voice wasn't the expected anger. His father sounded terrified. At the school, Evan said his voice cracking as he spoke. Thank God, his father breathed. Evan could hear his mother screaming in the background. The sound drove a spike of fear into the teen's heart. Evan, listen to me. You need to go to the police station and stay there, Evan's father said. It was the same tone his father always used to lay down the law. I don't care what you hear or see on TV, you are not to come home. There was a sound of shattering glass and then the unmistakable sound of gunfire. Dad, Evan screamed into the phone. What's going on? Zombies are attacking the house, Evan's father said. Remember, we love you. With that, Evan's father hung up the phone. Hey, I got a new fan. Met at Gold's Gym last week. Remember I was talking last week about the uh, the rainbow? Yeah. I was pumping some iron, trying to get pumped up for the summer. And uh, I was doing some hack squats, and I was on the dumbbell presses, and I was going for it, man. I was feeling pretty good. I was like, yeah, the old boy, he still got it. And uh, this monster of a dude walks in there, and... Uh, Man, the dude was huge. His arms were as big as my legs. Had to be a good 350, this guy. Uh, about 6'2", bald-headed like a black Mr. Clean. Definitely one of those bodybuilder dudes. Um, dude was scary looking, actually. And uh, he was doing some benching. Had to be at least 400 pounds. And the bar was bending when it was going up. I thought, Shh, get out of here with that. So I waited till it got done right, and I went over to the bench and took off like four of the plates that he had on there. And I'm doing some reps, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I can do this to failure. Failure came like quicker than I thought, and that joker like got stuck. I couldn't get it up. I was on there for like a second, and this two big massive hands came 
and glided the thing back up into the holder. And I was like, oh, whew, thanks, man. And I looked up, and there was that dude, man, that big 350-pound dude. And he said, no problem. Let me help you max out with the rest of these. And I thought, let me get just two then since you're standing here. And uh, I could tell the dude had to be at least a trainer or something because he had, you know, he knew what he was doing. And I got that one up, came back down real slow. I was breathing. My little leg was shaking. I was like, whoa, I'm going to feel this tomorrow. And uh, then the dude says, I don't have my rainbow on today, but I rock it. And I thought immediately about the last show, about how I was mad at gay people for stealing the rainbow. And that bar came flying down on my chest, and Big Al stopped it uh, right before it, it crushed me. But I couldn't move it after that. And he just kind of looked at me and gave me like this big grin, and his eyes opened real wide, like Charlie Murphy. And uh, he said, you got it? And I was like, no, nah, man, take it off. And uh, he pulled it back and threw it up on a rack. And I got up and shook his hand. He said, yeah, man, I'm a fan. And I thought, yeah, okay. And immediately, man, I was just thinking about prison rape scene. Oh, man, it was just going to be some scary crap. But shout out to you, Big Al. And thanks for listening to the Urban Shooter Podcast. See, I ain't homophobic or nothing. I'm just, that dude was huge, man. I'm just saying. If you want to hear from me, if you want to leave me a note or a message, feel free to give me an email at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. You can join me on Facebook. Look for Ken. That's with two N's, Blanchard. But look for Pastor Ken Blanchard and you'll get me. Check out KenNBlanchard.com, my website. And the other two podcasts. I have three now. There's Zombie Strike. But we're still like about 20 or 30 behind this episode. But just the early ones are are back there. And if you can, fill out that survey. There's a link on KenNBlanchard.com to help me get the demographics for the big stuff. Missing Barbara this week, but uh, I know she's probably doing something to make us all jealous. W.C. Fields said, it doesn't matter what they call you. It just matters what you answer to. Shalom, baby. This concludes another weekly edition of the Urban Shooter Podcast. Thanks for listening. Feel free to leave Ken a review on iTunes about the show. Join the forum on blackmanwithagun.info or comment on the show notes on kenblanchard.com. Don't look now, but there's one man too many in this room, and I think it's you.